to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for the diverse network of spirit-filled ministers, churches, and ministries that are the Assemblies of God. So good day to you. I hope that you're doing well. And we're going to move right into part two of a three-part series on the core values of the North Texas District. So I'm sure if you're listening here to part two, you have in fact listened to part one. And I encourage you to go do that. In part one, we heard from our boss, Dr. Galen Clonch, the superintendent, about the first two core values. And he specifically discussed being mission-focused and living biblically. In part two today, I'm going to be sitting down with Secretary-Treasurer Greg Headley and he's going to take us through the third and fourth of what will ultimately be six core values. These are the things that we feel are so irreducibly biblical that every minister associated with the Assemblies of God of the North Texas District should be about them. Let's give them a listen and see if you agree. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Um, we're digging into something that's been a really big deal to us. It's, it's something that we have been staring at this material until our eyes cross. We've been praying it through. We've been having meetings about it. But what we're unpacking in the series of podcasts is our core values. And these are things that we've been um, hammering away at for some time. And so, Pastor Greg, today you're, of course, taking us through two of them. Last week, um, Dr. Clonch took us through the first two. And so I just want to read through them, and then we're going to start angling in at the two middle ones. So friends, here are the core values. The first one is this. We are mission focused. Second, we live biblically. Third, we mobilize believers. Fourth, we are healthy leaders. Five, we love well and reach wide. And sixth, we invest in new frontiers. Let's unpack your two. And we're going to begin with we mobilize believers. Let's use that word we for a moment. Who are we? And book of Ephesians Paul is talking to the spiritual leaders, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He said, you are God's gift to the church. And part of your role as a gift to the church is to equip, to train, resource, build up the body of Christ so that we fulfill the mission of God on the earth, which is our first value. We're mission-oriented. But in order to accomplish the mission, we need to be trained. I'm reading a book right now related to a man that his life story in World War II and all that he went through. But a large part of the reason he was able to survive under some of the most adverse circumstances, including over 30 days at sea, adrift in a raft, was because of the training that he had been previously given. I think about my own life, and I realize that I am who I am today because of the people, my pastors, my parents, my professors in seminary, and others that poured into me, some of the seminars I've attended who have helped me to understand certain principles and practices and processes of ministry. And I have taken those and they have equipped me for the role that I have today. What has been done for me, I should be doing for others. I, as a spiritual leader, now have the opportunity in a different role here, but in the role that I had at Gospel Lighthouse for 34 years in a pastoral role, to equip the saints, to equip people in the church, now here to equip other ministers to fulfill the call of God upon their life. And when I came to North Texas in the role of secretary treasurer, I knew a little bit of what was done, but I didn't realize how much out of our team here is really about mobilizing believers. I look at our children's leader, Michelle Garland, all of the resources that she gives. 
my grandchildren were at camp this past summer, and I was so grateful that not only they hear good sermons, play lots of wonderful games, have altar times, and experience the presence and the power of God, but in a very practical way, they were a part of a group of children that put together 176 thousand that's right yes food packets that would ultimately provide 176,000 meals to children in orphanages well she was equipping them to understand the importance of missions she made a great deposit in their life and yet at the inside out conference she equips their children's pastors and children's leaders how to serve their children well i look at robert kennedy our men's director he's a local pastor but i see his passion to help other pastors have effective men's ministries and he trains them how to do that look at mike harper and our, our church planning and development and everything that comes out of his leadership is about making the local pastor healthy, training and equipping leaders in the local church, helping that rural pastor connect to his rural community, and then giving us a vehicle through our encounter weekends for pastors to bring people from their churches to have a time with God, sort of like an adult youth camp where they go away. Freshly impacted by the Spirit, many of them get filled with the Holy Spirit at that. And here at the district office, one of the lenses that we look through to see if we're accomplishing God's purpose for our ministry is how effective we are at equipping and training others. That's really good. And you guys really do keep that reminder in front of us all the time that we don't exist for ourselves. And so as you guys point us now in serving and helping equip pastors, take us back long, long ago, I guess about a year or so ago, whenever you're in the midst of, of over three decades of pastoring at your church. So whenever you were at the Gospel Lighthouse, over those years, did you come to a point where you ever realized, I'm doing a lot of ministry, but maybe I'm not equipping for ministry as much as, as possible. I'll give you an example. I, w- I was serving a pastor this weekend, and I was at his church, and we were talking before service, and he said, I had a realization. He said, for years, my wife and I, if a ball was dropped at the church, we would pick it up and run with it, in addition to everything else we were doing. And he said, I just realized that we are going to be incredibly limited if the measure of how much we do is about what me and my wife can handle. Talk to us about, as a pastor, developing believers for the work of the ministry in your local church. For those of us that are type A personalities, I'm talking to several of you right now. You have a commitment to do things well, to do it right. And sometimes it's hard for you to release others who may not do it as well as you or may not do it the same way you would do it. That can be a hindrance. It's a great trait. But in ministry, the goal is not for me to do all of the work. Quite frankly, early on in my ministry, there were things that I thought, this is my job, my responsibility. I'm going to do it. There would still be those that would even say later on in my ministry, there were certain things that I just held on to, like preaching on Sunday morning. However, I look back and realize that there were those early on in my ministry who gave me the opportunity to preach. I would have never become skilled in pulpit ministry without those opportunities. And so I realized the importance of me helping equip and train others who were called to pulpit ministry. However, most of our people, it's not about pulpit ministry. It's about doing the work. And when I learned that secret, it was amazing how many different ministries our church could take on when we equipped others to be able 
to reach out. For instance, if I'm going to reach a, a local school, I can have a good relationship with that school, develop and nurture. But if I can train nine or ten other people to do that same kind of ministry, then the next thing you know, we can multiply ourselves into nine or ten different schools, which is exactly what we did at Gospel Lighthouse. Once we learned that secret, multiplication begin to take place. And so when I say learn the secret, it's right there in God's Word. We need to follow the principles it is, there, of God's it? Word. Yeah, Paul <laughs> told Timothy, he said, Timothy, here's the way it works. I spent time with you. I invested in you. Now, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to take what I have deposited in you, and I want you to commit that to faithful men who will in turn commit that same effort in discipling other men. The most powerful expression of discipleship is really the simplest. One man, one woman, discipling another, who in turn disciples others. And when we do that, the kingdom of God is advanced. You know, there's no one I don't think who should have more faith in the potential of people than an Assemblies of God minister. But it's not because we're unreasonable about people, because it happens that a lot of people are just as flawed as we are. But we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, f- I feel like, Pastor Greg, sometimes as as a core thing to our faith, and we think about the power of God in terms of an experience within service, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God was given to go beyond us. There was a purpose to the power. Talk to us about that and the place of it here in this context of mobilizing believers. When you go back to the Old Testament, God gave directions for the priest that there was an anointing oil that each one of them needed to be anointed with, which began right there to communicate to us that effective ministry is not just done in the human flesh. There is the need for the touch of God the anointing of God, the empowerment of God's Spirit upon a person's life. We come to the New Testament, it's we're all priests unto the Lord. This prophecy in Joel is, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. And then it talks about the men, the women, the old men. I believe that when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is empowered by the Spirit of God, There's more than a multiplication effect. There is a supernatural impact that can take place. That's the reason 120 can become 3,000 in one day. It's the reason a man by the name of Simon that Jesus renamed Peter because he saw the potential of him becoming a, a spiritual rock to the early church's leadership. And yet we know he had a lot of flaws. We know he had a lot of personality shortcomings on the day that Jesus was resurrected, once Peter came to that awareness, he couldn't even convince Thomas, one of the disciples, that Jesus was alive. Yeah. But on the day of Pentecost, after the power of the Holy Spirit fell, and Peter was filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, on that day, he convinced 3,000 strangers that Jesus was the Son of God. I'd love to have more time to develop this because one of the things that helped me most in understanding this principle of the power of the Holy Spirit was when I studied the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And I'll just make it this simple. There was nothing Jesus did from his supernatural birth to every miracle to his ministry that was not done as a result 
of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Mm. Even his death on the cross, it says that he, through the eternal spirit, offered himself as that sacrifice. How did the resurrection take place? It says the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. So I always look at it this way. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose and his mission on the earth, then how much more do I need the power of the Holy Spirit? And do we all need the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that? So we mobilize believers because God mobilizes us. And so a uh, second thing that we're going to tackle with you today is this uh, fourth core value of the sixth. We are healthy leaders. We are healthy leaders. What does this mean? We have a vision, thousand healthy churches in North Texas. The key there is not the number 1,000. Today we have 650 churches. We're on our way to 700. But again, the focus is not on the number. The focus needs to be on the word healthy because our goal is for the church to represent Christ to the community. In order for that to happen, we need healthy pastors. Mm -hmm. We need healthy worship leaders. We need healthy children's leaders and all across the board. So part of our six core values is this proclamation that we are by God's grace and and the work of His Spirit, healthy leaders. Mm. In order to have a thousand healthy churches, we're going to need several thousand healthy leaders. Let me just read the statement underneath that core values. It says, we live well. Now, I'll just stop there. That's, to some degree, a statement of faith, because we all have our own challenges and struggles and issues that we face in life. But I'm convinced that when Jesus said, I am come, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, that he meant that. I'm convinced that that prayer that John prayed for Gaius is a prayer that we can all embrace, that I pray that you be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense in God's Word that God is concerned about every area of our life. Paul tells us in the book of Thessalonians that God wants to sanctify us completely, spirit, soul, and body. So it says we live well, So we and we are committed to spiritual, emotional, physical, and relational health. Vibrant leaders, thriving families... And strong teams lead healthy churches and ministries. You know, I love what what we've included here, different layers of health, spiritual, emotional, physical, relational. We would always say we need to be spiritually healthy, of course. There have been many a study done showing the trend with clergy to not so much have the emotional, physical, relational parts down. Uh, There's been plenty of documentation of some of the emotional struggles of ministry leaders. And I feel like as a district, we've placed some some real emphasis on that with uh, our counselor, Peter Pignon, and some of the work that we've done there and uh, trying to get people Sabbath and encouraging that kind of thing um, in a physical sense. But I want to touch on physical health in the sense of taking our weight, our nutrition, all of those things seriously. You enjoy, this is something I've admired about you guys since coming to know you. I've watched you guys take this very seriously. There have been times where we've been traveling uh, because of fall tour or something like that. I remember one morning going down to the gym at six o'clock and you had beat me there. You were on the treadmill. But I've also gotten into town and seen you enjoy taking your laps through a community. You obviously take this seriously. So talk to us about the importance of a pastor taking care of themselves. 
When I look at how God designed us, first of all, we're created in His image, and so we're spiritual beings, and the top priority should always be to take care of our spirit man and make sure it's in harmony with with God's spirit. So we read God's word, pray, worship Him. Then there is that physical man. And sometimes we think if I'm taking care of the spiritual that I can neglect the physical. However, we're tied together. And if I'm physically unhealthy, it will impact ultimately some of my capacities spiritually. And so I believe that God wants us to take care of our physical bodies. We should eat right, get plenty of rest, and exercise. Simple to say. And I believe that it's achievable if we just put some disciplines in our life. Joy and I sort of motivate one another. Good news nowadays, we got all kinds of tools to help us. Yeah, you got uh, your Apple Watch on I've right now. I've got my Apple Watch on, and every day it monitors my steps. And my wife, she'll see me at night. If I haven't accomplished my daily goal, then it may be 8 or 8.30 at night, and I'm going to be taking a walk outside in order to get that, that goal in. And the good news is it's not a legalistic thing. It's more of a motivational tool that helps me to stay healthy. But for Joy and I, and you reference something, quite often we walk together. And even if I'm not walking with her, she's got a friend that she walks with. It becomes relationally. So we're walking, taking care of our physical health. At the same time, we're conversing. We're planning for the future. Many times we're praying. I can't tell you the number of times that Joy and I have been on a walk and there was something that we were facing personally, that our kids were facing, our church was facing, and we spent the next 30 minutes while we were walking just interceding together. And there's a bonding that comes through the spiritual intercession we were doing, the physical exercise that was taking place there. I remember hearing, I believe it was Dick Foth a number of years ago, I was talking about intimacy in a marriage. And you talked about physical intimacy, obviously that's what we normally think of. And he talked about people that work out in the yard together, they have a work intimacy. And then when you vacation together, there's a vacation intimacy. And Joy and I just come to realize that taking care of our physical body is, is a part of our intimacy together. Now, I don't want to mistake things. I do love my Bluebell and Dr. Pepper as well, and I have to watch <laughs> my intake on those. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it does take some discipline, doesn't it? Um, talk to us about this last part here, um, because we're running out of time today, but you've included under this notion of being healthy leaders that you know thriving families, strong teams lead healthy churches. And so there's the family of the minister that we want to be healthy. There's the staff that we want healthy dynamics. They're not dysfunctional uh, dynamics among staff. Talk about that, just that relational health with family and with staff. Two different things, I understand, but two important things. Yeah, well, I'm glad you pointed that out, because that statement, as you you know, we worked hard on, and it's very intentional. We need vibrant leaders. I need to be personally healthy, but we need thriving families. If I am physically healthy, if I'm giving a lot of effort to the church, but I neglect my children, my wife, then I don't believe the Lord is honored. But when my family thrives, that gives me even more emotional energy to make sure I'm making good deposits in ministry. Not to mention that a thriving family becomes a healthy example, which helps us equip others and to have their families to be healthy. But then that last part says strong teams lead healthy churches. 
the guys that worked under my leadership back in the probably 1980s and 90s, I was a little more of what I'll call a task master. I was all about the task, getting the work done. I worked everyone hard. I worked hard. I came to understand later that you can work hard and yet still show a lot of attention to and care for the team members who are around you. And I came to value every person, not just for the gift or the talent or the expertise they brought to our church, but I came to respect them as a part of a team of people who really became my family. And one of the things that I thought that I would miss the most, and it's still true, of coming out of the local church into the district office was not just my church family, but it was that ministry team. Mm -hmm. I see some pastors, and they look at whoever their uh, other people are that serve the church as hirelings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that sets us up for an unhealthy church. But when we realize that we are all a team, and we treat everyone with respect and with honor and value, mm -hmm. then we are not only healthier as a team, but once again, we've given a wonderful expression to people in the church of how to do work together and to enjoy one another. This morning, as part of my prayer time, I was praying for one of my team members from the Lighthouse who is in another position in another state. And I've been praying for her throughout this entire year because this is a new year for her and a new open door for her. But because of the bond that we gain in those years working together, I still have great value for her as an individual. Pastor Greg, one more question. Um, fast forward five or six years. We've been talking about these core values. Say we do a good job of sharing them as frequently as possible, of living them out personally, and these take hold in a district. What might it look like down the road? What things would you be proud to see? Well, one of the things I believe we'll be proud to see is that there are some uh, ministers that have had a way of doing ministry that was out of the right heart, out of the right spirit, but they're going to be open to learning some healthier approaches to ministry so that they are happier in what they're doing and their ministry is more fruitful. Mm -hmm. Second thing that I'm really excited and believe that we're going to see is that the next generation of leaders that will one day be sitting in these chairs, uh, one day be leading some churches of great significance in our district, that we can make a deposit into their life that gives them some foundational understanding of ministry that helps them to build greater ministries than we've ever seen in the North Texas District. Amen. Well, friends, we hope wherever you're serving Jesus as part of the North Texas District family, we hope you're encouraged. And uh, we're certainly encouraged on your behalf. We love you. We're praying for you. And if you ever need anything, uh, you be sure and call us because we're here to serve you. So have a great week serving Jesus and his bride, the local church.